Section 31 of Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rome by Emil Zola. Translated by Ernest Visitelli. Chapter 16, Part 1. On the following day, on his return from the funeral, Pierre lunched alone in his room, having decided to take leave of the Cardinal and Donna Serafina during the afternoon. He was quitting Rome that evening by the train which started at seventeen minutes past ten. There was nothing to detain him any longer. There was only one visit which he desired to make, a visit to old Orlando, with whom he had promised to have a long chat prior to his departure. And so a little before two o'clock he sent for a cab which took him to the Via Venti Settembre. A fine rain had fallen all night, its moisture steeping the city in grey vapour, and though this rain had now ceased, the sky remained very dark, and the huge new mansions of the Via Venti Settembre were quite livid, interminably mournful with their balconies ever of the same pattern and their regular and endless rows of windows. The Ministry of Finances, that colossal pile of masonry and sculpture, looked in particular like a dead town, a huge bloodless body whence all life had withdrawn. On the other hand, although all was so gloomy, the rain had made the atmosphere milder. In fact, it was almost warm, damply and feverishly warm. In the hall of Prada's little palazzo, Pierre was surprised to find four or five gentlemen taking off their overcoats. However, he learnt from a servant that Count Luigi had a meeting that day with some contractors. As he, Pierre, wished to see the Count's father, he had only to ascend to the third floor, added the servant. He must knock at the little door on the right-hand side of the landing there. On the very first landing, however, the priest found himself face to face with the young Count, who was there receiving the contractors, and who on recognising him became frightfully pale. They had not met since the tragedy at the Bocanera mansion, and Pierre well realised how greatly his glance disturbed that man. What a troublesome recollection of moral complicity it evoked, and what mortal dread lest he should have guessed the truth. "'Have you come to see me? Have you something to tell me?' the Count inquired. "'No, I am leaving Rome. I have come to wish your father good-bye.' Prada's pallor increased at this, and his whole face quivered. "'Ah, it is to see my father. He is not very well. Be gentle with him,' he replied. And as he spoke, his look of anguish clearly proclaimed what he feared from Pierre. Some imprudent word, perhaps even a final mission, the malediction of that man and woman whom he had killed.' and surely, if his father knew, he would die as well. Ah, how annoying it is, he resumed. I can't go up with you. There are gentlemen waiting for me. Yes, how annoyed I am. As soon as possible, however, I will join you. Yes, as soon as possible. He knew not how to stop the young priest, whom he must evidently allow to remain with his father, whilst he himself stayed down below, kept there by his pecuniary worries. But how distressful were the eyes with which he watched Pierre climb the stairs, how he seemed to supplicate him with his whole quivering form. His father, good Lord, the only true love, the one great, pure, faithful passion of his life. Don't make him talk too much. Brighten him, won't you, were his parting words. Up above it was not Battista, the devoted ex-soldier, who opened the door, but a very young fellow to whom Pierre did not at first pay any attention. The little room was bare and light as on previous occasions, and from the broad curtainless window there was the superb view of Rome, Rome crushed that day beneath a leaden sky and steeped in shade of infinite mournfulness. Old Orlando, however, had in no wise changed, 
but still displayed the superb head of an old blanched lion a powerful muzzle and youthful eyes which yet sparkled with the passions which had growled in a soul of fire pierre found the stricken hero in the same armchair as previously near the same table littered with newspapers and with his legs buried in the same black wrapper as if he were there immobilized in a sheath of stone to such a point that after months and years one was sure to perceive him quite unchanged with living bust and face glowing with strength and intelligence that grey day however he seemed gloomy low in spirits ah so here you are my dear monsieur Fromont, he exclaimed i have been thinking of you these three days past living the awful days which you must have lived in that tragic palazzo bocanera ah god what a frightful bereavement my heart is quite overwhelmed these newspapers have again just upset me with the fresh details they give he pointed as he spoke to the papers scattered over the table then with a gesture he strove to brush aside the gloomy story and banish that vision of benedetta dead which had been haunting him well and yourself he inquired i am leaving this evening replied pierre but i did not wish to quit rome without pressing your brave hands you are leaving but your book my book i have been received by the holy father i have made my submission and reprobated my book orlando looked fixedly at the priest there was a short interval of silence during which their eyes told one another all that they had to tell respecting the affair neither felt the necessity of any longer explanation the old man merely spoke these concluding words you have done well your book was a chimera yes a chimera a piece of childishness and i have condemned it myself in the name of truth and reason a smile appeared on the dolorous lips of the impotent hero then you have seen things you understand and know them now yes i know them and that is why i did not wish to go off without having that frank conversation with you which we agreed upon orlando was delighted but all at once he seemed to remember the young fellow who had opened the door to pierre and who had afterwards modestly resumed his seat on a chair near the window this young fellow was a youth of twenty still beardless of a blonde handsomeness such as occasionally flowers at naples with long curly hair a lily-like complexion a rosy mouth and soft eyes full of a dreamy languor the old man presented him in fatherly fashion and giolo mascara his name was and he was the grandson of an old comrade in arms the epic mascara of the thousand who had died like a hero his body pierced by a hundred wounds i sent for him to scold him continued orlando with a smile do you know that this fine fellow with his girlish airs goes in for the new ideas he is an anarchist one of the three or four dozen anarchists that we have in italy he is a good little lad at bottom he has only his mother left him and supports her thanks to the little berth which he holds but which he'll lose one of these fine days if he is not careful come come my child you must promise me to be reasonable thereupon angiolo whose clean but well-worn garments bespoke decent poverty made answer in a grave and musical voice i am reasonable it is the others all the others who are not when all men are reasonable and desire truth and justice the world will be happy ah if you fancy that he'll give way cried orlando but my poor child just ask monsieur l'abbe if one ever knows where truth and justice are well well one must leave you the time to live and see and understand things then paying no more attention to the young man he returned to pierre while angiolo remaining very quiet in his corner kept his eyes ardently fixed on them and with open quivering ears lost not a word they said 
i told you my dear monsieur fromont resumed orlando that your ideas would change and that acquaintance with rome would bring you to accurate views far more readily than any fine speeches i could make to you so i never doubted but what you would of your own free will withdraw your book as soon as men and things should have enlightened you respecting the vatican at the present day but let us leave the vatican on one side there is nothing to be done but to let it continue falling slowly and inevitably into ruin what interests me is our italian rome which you treated as an element to be neglected but which you have now seen and studied so that we can both speak of it with the necessary knowledge he thereupon at once granted a great many things acknowledged that blunders had been committed that the finances were in a deplorable state and that there were serious difficulties of all kinds they the italians had sinned by excess of legitimate pride they had proceeded too hastily with their attempt to improvise a great nation to change ancient rome into a great modern capital as by the mere touch of a wand and thence had come that mania for erecting new districts that mad speculation in land and shares which had brought the country within a hair's breadth of bankruptcy at this pierre gently interrupted him to tell him of the view which he himself had arrived at after his peregrinations and studies through rome that fever of the first hour that financial debacle he said is after all nothing all pecuniary sores can be healed but the grave point is that your italy still remains to be created there is no aristocracy left and as yet there is no people nothing but a devouring middle class dating from yesterday which preys on the rich harvest of the future before it is ripe silence fell orlando sadly wagged his old leonine head the cutting harshness of pierre's formula struck him in the heart yes yes he said at last that is so you have seen things plainly and why say no when facts are there patent to everybody i myself have already spoken to you of that middle class which hungers so ravenously for place and office distinctions and plumes and which at the same time is so avaricious so suspicious with regard to its money which it invests in banks never risking it in agriculture or manufactures or commerce having indeed the one desire to enjoy life without doing anything and so unintelligent that it cannot see it is killing its country by its loathing for labour its contempt for the poor its one ambition to live in a petty way with the barren glory of belonging to some official administration and as you say the aristocracy is dying discrowned ruined sunk into the degeneracy which overtakes races towards their close most of its members reduced to beggary the others the few who have clung to their money crushed by heavy imposts possessing naught but dead fortunes which constant sharing diminishes and which must soon disappear with the princes themselves and then there is the people which has suffered so much and suffers still but is so used to suffering that it can seemingly conceive no idea of emerging from it blind and deaf as it is almost regretting its ancient bondage and so ignorant so abominably ignorant which is the one cause of its hopeless moralless misery for it has not even the consolation of understanding that if we have conquered and are trying to resuscitate rome and italy in their ancient glory it is for itself the people alone yes yes no aristocracy left no people as yet and a middle class which really alarms one how can one therefore help yielding at times to the terrors of the pessimists who pretend that our misfortunes are as yet nothing that we are going forward to yet more awful catastrophes as though indeed what we now behold were but the first symptoms of our race's end the premonitory signs of final annihilation as he spoke he raised his long quivering arms towards the window towards the light and pierre deeply moved 
remembered how cardinal bocanera on the previous day had made a similar gesture of suppliant distress when appealing to the divine power and both men cardinal and patriot so hostile in their beliefs were instinct with the same fierce and despairing grandeur as i told you however on the first day continued orlando we only sought to accomplish logical and inevitable things as for rome with her past history of splendour and domination which weighs so heavily upon us we could not do otherwise than take her for capital for she alone was the bond the living symbol of our unity at the same time as the promise of eternity the renewal offered to our great dream of resurrection and glory he went on recognizing the disastrous conditions under which rome laboured as a capital she was a purely decorative city with exhausted soil she had remained apart from modern life she was unhealthy she offered no possibility of commerce or industry she was invincibly preyed upon by death standing as she did amidst that sterile desert of the campagna then he compared her with the other cities which are jealous of her first florence which however has become so indifferent and so sceptical impregnated with a happy heedlessness which seems inexplicable when one remembers the frantic passions and the torrents of blood rolling through her history next naples which yet remains content with her bright sun and whose childish people enjoy their ignorance and wretchedness so indolently that one knows not whether one ought to pity them next venice which has resigned herself to remaining a marvel of ancient art which one ought to put under glass so as to preserve her intact slumbering amid the sovereign pomp of her annals next genoa which is absorbed in trade still active and bustling one of the last queens of that mediterranean that insignificant lake which was once the opulent central sea whose waters carried the wealth of the world and then particularly turin and milan those industrial and commercial centres which are so full of life and so modernized that tourists disdain them as not being italian cities both of them having saved themselves from ruin by entering into that western evolution which is preparing the next century ah that old land of italy one ought to leave it all as a dusty museum for the pleasure of artistic souls leave it to crumble away even as its little towns of magna grecia umbria and tuscany are already crumbling like exquisite bibelots which one dares not repair for fear that one might spoil their character at all events there must either be death death soon and inevitable or else the pick of the demolisher the tottering walls thrown to the ground and cities of labour science and health created on all sides in one word a new italy really rising from the ashes of the old one and adapted to the new civilization into which humanity is entering however why despair orlando continued energetically rome may weigh heavily on our shoulders but she is none the less the summit we coveted we are here and we shall stay here awaiting events even if the population does not increase it at least remains stationary at a figure of some four hundred thousand souls and the movement of increase may set in again when the causes which stopped it shall have ceased our blunder was to think that rome would become a paris or berlin but so far all sorts of social historical even ethnical considerations seem opposed to it yet who can tell what may be the surprises of tomorrow are we forbidden to hope to put faith in the blood which courses in our veins the blood of the old conquerors of the world i who no longer stir from this room impotent as i am even i at times feel my madness come back believe in the invincibility and immortality of rome and wait for the two millions of people who must come to populate those dolorous new districts which you have seen so empty and already falling into ruins and certainly there will come why not you will see you will see everything will be populated and even more houses will have to be built 
moreover can you call a nation poor when it possesses lombardy is there not also inexhaustible wealth in our southern provinces let peace settle down let the south and the north mingle together and a new generation of workers grow up since we have the soil such a fertile soil the great harvest which is awaited will surely some day sprout and ripen under the burning sun enthusiasm was upboying him all the furia of youth inflamed his eyes pierre smiled won over and as soon as he was able to speak he said the problem must be tackled down below among the people you must make men exactly cried orlando i don't cease repeating it one must make italy it is as if a wind from the east had blown the seed of humanity the seed which makes vigorous and powerful nations elsewhere our people is not like yours in france a reservoir of men and money from which one can draw as plentifully as one pleases it is such another inexhaustible reservoir that i wish to see created among us and one must begin at the bottom there must be schools everywhere ignorance must be stamped out brutishness and idleness must be fought with books intellectual and moral instruction must give us the industrious people which we need if we are not to disappear from among the great nations and once again for whom if not for the democracy of tomorrow have we worked in taking possession of rome and how easily one can understand that all should collapse here and nothing grow up vigorously since such a democracy is absolutely absent yes yes the solution of the problem does not lie elsewhere we must make a people make an italian democracy pierre had grown calm again feeling somewhat anxious yet not daring to say that it is by no means easy to modify a nation that italy is such as soil history and race have made her and that to seek to transform her so radically and all at once might be a dangerous enterprise do not nations like beings have an active youth a resplendent prime and a more or less prolonged old age ending in death a modern democratic rome good heavens the modern romes are named paris london chicago so he contented himself with saying but pending this great renovation of the people don't you think that you ought to be prudent your finances are in such a bad condition you are passing through such great social and economic difficulties that you run the risk of the worst catastrophes before you secure either men or money ah how prudent would that minister be who should say in your chambers our pride has made a mistake it was wrong of us to try to make ourselves a great nation in one day more time labor and patience are needed and we consent to remain for the present a young nation which will quietly reflect and labor at self-formation without for a long time yet seeking to play a dominant part so we intend to disarm to strike out the war and naval estimates all the estimates intended for display abroad in order to devote ourselves to our internal prosperity and to build up by education physically and morally the great nation which we swear we will be fifty years hence yes yes strike out all needless expenditure your salvation lies in that but orlando while listening had become gloomy again and with a vague weary gesture he replied in an undertone no no the minister who should use such language would be hooted it would be too hard a confession such as one cannot ask a nation to make every heart would bound leap forth at the idea and besides would not the danger perhaps be even greater if all that has been done were allowed to crumble how many wrecked hopes how much discarded useless material there would be no we can now only save ourselves by patience and courage and forward ever forward we are a very young nation and in fifty years we desired to effect the unity which others have required two hundred years to arrive at well we must pay for our haste we must wait for the harvest to ripen and fill our barns 
then with another and more sweeping wave of the arm he stubbornly strengthened himself in his hopes you know said he that i was always against the alliance with germany as i predicted it has ruined us we were not big enough to march side by side with such a wealthy and powerful person and it is in view of a war always near at hand and inevitable that we now suffer so cruelly from having to support the budgets of a great nation ah that war which has never come it is that which has exhausted the best part of our blood and sap and money without the slightest profit today we have nothing before us but the necessity of breaking with our ally who speculated on our pride who has never helped us in any way who has never given us anything but bad advice and treated us otherwise than with suspicion but it was all inevitable and that's what people won't admit in france i can speak freely of it all for i am a declared friend of france and people even feel some spite against me on that account however explain to your compatriots that on the morrow of our conquest of rome in our frantic desire to resume our ancient rank it was absolutely necessary that we should play our part in europe and show that we were a power with whom the others must henceforth count and hesitation was not allowable all our interests impelled us toward germany the evidence was so blinding as to impose itself the stern law of the struggle for life weighs as heavily on nations as on individuals and this it is which explains and justifies the rupture between the two sisters france and italy the forgetting of so many ties race commercial intercourse and if you like services also the two sisters ah they now pursue each other with so much hatred that all common sense even seems at an end my poor old heart bleeds when i read the articles which your newspapers and ours exchange like poisoned darts when will this fratricidal massacre cease which of the two will first realize the necessity of peace the necessity of the alliance of the latin races if they are to remain alive amidst those torrents of other races which more and more invade the world then gaily with the bonhomie of a hero disarmed by old age and seeking a refuge in his dreams orlando added come you must promise to help me as soon as you are in paris however small your field of action may be promise me you will do all you can to promote peace between france and italy there can be no more holy task relate all you have seen here all you have heard oh as frankly as possible if we have faults you certainly have faults as well and come family quarrels can't last for ever no doubt pierre answered in some embarrassment unfortunately they are the most tenacious in families when blood becomes exasperated with blood hate goes as far as poison and the knife and pardon becomes impossible he dared not fully express his thoughts since he had been in rome listening and considering things the quarrel between italy and france had resumed itself in his mind in a fine tragic story once upon a time there were two princesses daughters of a powerful queen the mistress of the world the elder one who had inherited her mother's kingdom was secretly grieved to see her sister who had established herself in a neighboring land gradually increase in wealth strength and brilliancy whilst she herself declined as if weakened by age dismembered so exhausted and so sore that she already felt defeated on the day when she attempted a supreme effort to regain universal power and so how bitter were her feelings how hurt she always felt on seeing her sister recover from the most frightful shocks resume her dazzling gala and continue to reign over the world by dint of strength and grace and wit never would she forgive it however well that envied and detested sister might act towards her therein lay an incurable wound the life of one poisoned by that of the other the hatred of old blood for young blood which could only be quieted by death and even if peace as was possible 
should soon be restored between them in presence of the younger sister's evident triumph the other would always harbour deep within her heart an endless grief at being the elder yet the vassal however you may rely on me pierre affectionately resumed this quarrel between the two countries is certainly a great source of grief and a great peril and assuredly i will only say what i think to be the truth about you at the same time i fear that you hardly like the truth for temperament and custom have hardly prepared you for it the poets of every nation who at various times have written on rome have intoxicated you with so much praise that you are scarcely fitted to hear the real truth about your rome of to-day no matter how superb a share of praise one may accord you one must all the same look at the reality of things and this reality is just what you won't admit lovers of the beautiful as you ever are susceptible too like women whom the slightest hint of a wrinkle sends into despair orlando began to laugh well certainly one must always beautify things a little said he why speak of ugly faces at all we in our theatres only care for pretty music pretty dancing pretty pieces which please one as for the rest whatever is disagreeable let us hide it for mercy's sake on the other hand the priest continued i will cheerfully confess the great error of my book the italian rome which i neglected and sacrificed to papal rome not only exists but is already so powerful and triumphant that it is surely the other one which is bound to disappear in the course of time however much the pope may strive to remain immutable within his vatican a steady evolution goes on around him and the black world by mingling with the white has already become a grey world i never realized that more acutely than at the fete given by prince buongiovanni for the betrothal of his daughter to your grand-nephew i came away quite enchanted won over to the cause of your resurrection the old man's eyes sparkled ah you were present said he and you witnessed a never-to-be-forgotten scene did you not and you no longer doubt our vitality our growth into a great people when the difficulties of to-day are overcome what does a quarter of a century what does even a century matter italy will again rise to her old glory as soon as the great people of to-morrow shall have sprung from the soil and if i detest that man sacco it is because to my mind he is the incarnation of all the enjoyers and intriguers whose appetite for the spoils of our conquest has retarded everything but i live again in my dear grand-nephew attilio who represents the future the generation of brave and worthy men who will purify and educate the country ah may some of the great ones of to-morrow spring from him and that adorable little princess celia whom my niece stefana a sensible woman at bottom brought to see me the other day if you had seen that child fling her arms about me call me endearing names and tell me that i should be a godfather to her first son so that he might bear my name and once again save italy yes yes may peace be concluded around that coming cradle may the union of those dear children be the indissoluble marriage of rome and the whole nation and may all be repaired and all blossom anew in their love tears came to his eyes and pierre touched by his inextinguishable patriotism sought to please him i myself said he expressed to your son much the same wish on the evening of the betrothal fete when i told him i trusted that their nuptials might be definitive and fruitful and that from them and all the others there might arise the great nation which now that i begin to know you i hope you will soon become you said that exclaimed orlando well i forgive your book for you have understood at last and new rome there she is the rome which is ours which we wish to make worthy of her glorious past and for the third time the queen of the world 
with one of those broad gestures into which he put all his remaining life he pointed to the curtainless window where rome spread out in solemn majesty from one horizon to the other but suddenly he turned his head and in a fit of paternal indignation began to apostrophize young angelo mascara you young rascals said he it's our rome which you dream of destroying with your bombs which you talk of raising like a rotten tottering house so as to rid the world of it for ever angiolo had hitherto remained silent passionately listening to the others his pretty girlish beardless face reflected the slightest emotion in sudden flushes and his big blue eyes also had glowed on hearing what had been said of the people the new people which it was necessary to create yes he slowly replied in his pure and musical voice we mean to raise it and not leave a stone of it but raise it in order to build it up again orlando interrupted him with a soft bantering laugh oh you would build it up again that's fortunate he said i would build it up again the young man replied in the trembling voice of an inspired prophet i would build it up again oh so vast so beautiful and so noble will not the universal democracy of to-morrow humanity when it is at last freed need a unique city which shall be the ark of alliance the very centre of the world and is not rome designated rome which the prophecies have marked as eternal and immortal where the destinies of the nations are to be accomplished but in order that it may become the final definitive sanctuary the capital of the destroyed kingdoms where the wise men of all countries shall meet once every year one must first of all purify it by fire leave nothing of its old stains remaining then when the sun shall have absorbed all the pestilence of the old soil we will rebuild the city ten times more beautiful and ten times larger than it has ever been and what a city of truth and justice it will at last be the rome that has been announced and awaited for three thousand years all in gold and all in marble filling the campagna from the sea to the sabine and the alban mountains and so prosperous and so sensible that its twenty millions of inhabitants after regulating the law of labour will live with the unique joy of being yes yes rome the mother rome the queen alone on the face of the earth and for all eternity pierre listened to him aghast what did the blood of augustus go to such a point as this the popes had not become masters of rome without feeling impelled to rebuild it in their passion to rule over the world young italy likewise yielding to the hereditary madness of universal domination had in its turn sought to make the city larger than any other erecting whole districts for people who had never come and now even the anarchists were possessed by the same stubborn dream of the race a dream beyond all measure this time a fourth and monstrous rome whose suburbs would invade continents in order that liberated humanity united in one family might find sufficient lodging this was the climax never could more extravagant proof be given of the blood of pride and sovereignty which had scorched the veins of that race ever since augustus had bequeathed it the inheritance of his absolute empire with the furious instinct that the world legally belonged to it and that its mission was to conquer it again this idea had intoxicated all the children of that historic soil impelling all of them to make their city the city the one which had reigned and which would reign again in splendour when the days predicted by the oracles should arrive and pierre remembered the four fatidical letters the spqr of old and glorious rome which like an order of final triumph given to destiny he had everywhere found in present-day rome on all the walls on all the insignia even on the municipal dust-carts and he understood the prodigious vanity of these people 
haunted by the glory of their ancestors spellbound by the past of their city declaring that she contains everything that they themselves cannot know her thoroughly that she is the sphinx who will some day explain the riddle of the universe that she is so great and noble that all within her acquires increase of greatness and nobility in such wise that they demand for her the idolatrous respect of the entire world so vivacious in their minds is the elusive legend which clings to her so incapable are they of realizing that what was once great may be so no longer but i know your fourth rome resumed orlando again enlivened it's the rome of the people the capital of the universal republic which mazzini dreamt of only he left the pope in it do you know my lad that if we old republicans rallied to the monarchy it was because we feared that in the event of revolution the country might fall into the hands of dangerous madmen such as those who have upset your brain yes that was why we resigned ourselves to our monarchy which is not much different from a parliamentary republic and now good-bye and be sensible remember that your poor mother would die of it if any misfortune should befall you come let me embrace you all the same on receiving the hero's affectionate kiss angiolo coloured like a girl then he went off with his gentle dreamy air never adding a word but politely inclining his head to the priest silence continued till orlando's eyes encountered the newspapers scattered on the table when he once more spoke of the terrible bereavement of the bocaneras he had loved benedetta like a dear daughter during the sad days when she had dwelt near him and finding the newspaper accounts of her death somewhat singular worried in fact by the obscure points which he could divine in the tragedy he was asking pierre for particulars when his son luigi suddenly entered the room breathless from having climbed the stairs so quickly and with his face full of anxious fear he had just dismissed his contractors with impatient roughness giving no thought to his serious financial position the jeopardy in which his fortune was now placed so anxious was he to be up above beside his father and when he was there his first uneasy glance was for the old man to make sure whether the priest by some imprudent word had not dealt him his death-blow he shuddered on noticing how orlando quivered moved to tears by the terrible affair of which he was speaking and for a moment he thought he had arrived too late that the harm was done good heavens father he exclaimed what is the matter with you why are you crying and as he spoke he knelt at the old man's feet taking hold of his hands and giving him such a passionate loving glance that he seemed to be offering all the blood of his heart to spare him the slightest grief it is about the death of that poor woman orlando sadly answered i was telling monsieur fromont how it grieved me and i added that i could not yet understand it all the papers talk of a sudden death which is always so extraordinary the young count rose again looking very pale the priest had not yet spoken but what a frightful moment was this what if he should reply what if he should speak out you were present were you not continued the old man addressing pierre you saw everything tell me then how the thing happened luigi prada looked at pierre their eyes met fixedly plunging into one another's souls all began afresh in their minds destiny on the march santo bono encountered with his little basket the drive across the melancholy campagna the conversation about poison while the little basket was gently rocked on the priest's knees then in particular the sleepy osteria and the little black hen so suddenly killed lying on the ground with a tiny streamlet of violet blood trickling from her beak and next there was that splendid ball at the buon giovanni mansion with all its odore di femina and its triumph of love and finally before the palazzo bocconera so black under the silvery moon there was the man who lighted a cigar and went off without once turning his head 
allowing dim destiny to accomplish its work of death both of them pierre and prada knew that story and lived it over again having no need to recall it aloud in order to make certain that they had fully penetrated one another's soul pierre did not immediately answer the old man oh he murmured at last there were frightful things yes frightful things no doubt that is what i suspected resumed orlando you can tell us all in presence of death my son has freely forgiven the young count's gaze again sought that of pierre with such weight such ardent entreaty that the priest felt deeply stirred he had just remembered that man's anguish during the ball the atrocious torture of jealousy which he had undergone before allowing destiny to avenge him and he pictured also what must have been his feelings after the terrible outcome of it all at first stupefaction at destiny's harshness at this full vengeance which he had never desired so ferocious then icy calmness like that of the cool gambler who awaits events reading the newspapers and feeling no other remorse than that of the general whose victory has cost him too many men he must have immediately realized that the cardinal would stifle the affair for the sake of the church's honor and only retained one weight on his heart regret possibly for that woman whom he had never won with perhaps a last horrible jealousy which he did not confess to himself but from which he would always suffer jealousy at knowing that she lay in another's arms in the grave for all eternity but behold after that victorious effort to remain calm after that cold and remorseless waiting punishment arose the fear that destiny travelling on with its poisoned figs might have not yet ceased its march and might by a rebound strike down his own father yet another thunderbolt yet another victim the most unexpected the being he most adored at that thought all his strength of resistance had in one moment collapsed and he was there in terror of destiny more at a loss more trembling than a child the newspapers however slowly said pierre as if he were seeking his words the newspapers must have told you that the prince succumbed first and that the contessina died of grief whilst embracing him for the last time as for the cause of death mon dieu you know that doctors themselves in sudden cases scarcely dare to pronounce an exact opinion he stopped short for within him he had suddenly heard the voice of benedetta giving him just before she died that terrible order you who will see his father i charge you to tell him that i cursed his son i wish that he should know it is necessary that he should know for the sake of truth and justice and was he o lord about to obey that order was it one of those divine commands which must be executed even if the result be a torrent of blood and tears for a few seconds pierre suffered from a heart-rending combat within him hesitating between the act of truth and justice which the dead woman had called for and his own personal desire for forgiveness and the horror he would feel should he kill that poor old man by fulfilling his implacable mission which could benefit nobody and certainly the other one the son must have understood what a supreme struggle was going on in the priest's mind a struggle which would decide his own father's fate for his glance became yet more suppliant than ever one first thought that it was merely indigestion continued pierre but the prince became so much worse that one was alarmed and the doctor was sent for ah prada's eyes they had become so despairing so full of the most touching and weightiest things that the priest could read in them all the decisive reasons which were about to stay his tongue no no he would not strike an innocent old man he had promised nothing and to obey the last expression of the dead woman's hatred would have seemed to him like charging her memory with a crime 
the young count too during those few minutes of anguish had suffered a whole life of such abominable torture that after all some little justice was done and then pierre concluded when the doctor arrived he at once recognized that it was a case of infectious fever there can be no doubt of it this morning i attended the funeral it was very splendid and very touching orlando did not insist but contented himself with saying that he also had felt much emotion all the morning on thinking of that funeral then as he turned to set the papers on the table in order with his trembling hands his son icy cold with perspiration staggering and clinging to the back of a chair in order that he might not fall again gave pierre a long glance but a very soft one full of distracted gratitude i am leaving this evening resumed pierre who felt exhausted and wished to break off the conversation and i must now bid you farewell have you any commission to give me for paris no none replied orlando and then with sudden recollection he added yes i have though you remember that book written by my old comrade in arms theophile morin one of garibaldi's thousand that manual for the bachelor's degree which he desired to see translated and adopted here well i am pleased to say that i have a promise that it shall be used in our schools but on condition that he makes some alterations in it luigi give me the book it is there on that shelf then when his son had handed him the volume he showed pierre some notes which he had pencilled on the margins and explained to him the modifications which were desired in the general scheme of the work will you be kind enough he continued to take this copy to morin himself his address is written inside the cover if you can do so you will spare me the trouble of writing him a very long letter in ten minutes you can explain matters to him more clearly and completely than i could do in ten pages and you must embrace morin for me and tell him that i still love him oh with all my heart of the bygone days when i could still use my legs and we two fought like devils side by side under a hail of bullets a short silence followed that pause that embarrassment tinged with emotion which precedes the moment of farewell come good-bye said orlando embrace me for him and for yourself embrace me affectionately like that lad did just now i am so old and so near my end my dear monsieur Froment, that you will allow me to call you my child and kiss you like a grandfather wishing you all courage and peace and that faith in life which alone helps one to live pierre was so touched that tears rose to his eyes and when with all his soul he kissed the stricken hero on either cheek he felt that he likewise was weeping with a hand yet as vigorous as a vice orlando detained him for a moment beside his armchair whilst with his other hand waving in a supreme gesture he for the last time showed him rome so immense and mournful under the ashen sky and his voice came low quivering and suppliant for mercy's sake swear to me that you will love her all the same in spite of all for she is the cradle the mother love her for all that she no longer is love her for all that she desires to be do not say that her end has come love her love her so that she may live again that she may live forever pierre again embraced him unable to find any other response upset as he was by all the passion displayed by that old warrior who spoke of his city as a man of thirty might speak of the woman he adores and he found him so handsome and so lofty with his old blanched leonine mane and his stubborn belief in approaching resurrection that once more the other old roman cardinal boccanera arose before him equally stubborn in his faith and relinquishing naught of his dream even though he might be crushed on the spot by the fall of the heavens these twain ever stood face to face at either end of their city alone rearing their lofty figures above the horizon whilst awaiting the future
then when pierre had bowed to count luigi and found himself outside again in the via venti settembre he was all eagerness to get back to the bocanera mansion so as to pack up his things and depart his farewell visits were made and he now only had to take leave of donna serafina and the cardinal and to thank them for all their kind hospitality for him alone did their doors open for they had shut themselves up on returning from the funeral resolved to see nobody at twilight therefore pierre had no one but victorine to keep him company in the vast black mansion for when he expressed a desire to take supper with don vigilio she told him that the latter had also shut himself up in his room desirous as he was of at least shaking hands with the secretary for the last time pierre went to knock at the door which was so near his own but could obtain no reply and divined that the poor fellow overcome by a fresh attack of fever and suspicion desired not to see him again in terror at the idea that he might compromise himself yet more than he had done already thereupon it was settled that as the train only started at seventeen minutes past ten victorine should serve pierre his supper on the little table in his sitting-room at eight o'clock she brought him a lamp and spoke of putting his linen in order but he absolutely declined her help and she had to leave him to pack up quietly by himself he had purchased a little box since his valise could not possibly hold all the linen and winter clothing which had been sent to him from paris as his stay in rome became more and more protracted however the packing was soon accomplished the wardrobe was emptied the drawers were visited the box and valise filled and securely locked by seven o'clock an hour remained to him before supper and he sat there resting when his eyes whilst travelling round the walls to make sure he had forgotten nothing encountered that old painting by some unknown master which had so often filled him with emotion the lamplight now shone full upon it and this time again as he gazed at it he felt a blow in the heart a blow which was all the deeper as now at this parting hour he found a symbol of his defeat at rome in that dolent tragic half-naked woman draped in a shred of linen and weeping between her clasped hands while seated on the threshold of the palace whence she had been driven did not that rejected one that stubborn victim of love who sobbed so bitterly and of whom one knew nothing neither what her face was like nor whence she had come nor what her fault had been did she not personify all man's useless efforts to force the doors of truth and all the frightful abandonment into which he falls as soon as he collides with the wall which shuts the unknown off from him for a long while did pierre look at her again worried at being obliged to depart without having seen her face behind her streaming golden hair that face of dolorous beauty which he pictured radiant with youth and delicious in its mystery and as he gazed he was just fancying that he could see it that it was becoming his at last when there was a knock at the door and narcisse abert entered end of section thirty one